This is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben off the cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, yours, Brandon, Joe, my host, Nick. No Dan, still on that vacay, but we have Naz. That's right, Nassar Kinsella. Welcome back to the pod, dear friend. We are excited to have you save us from our misery, right? Well, I don't know. It's a bit of a big burden for me. A lot of pressure. <laughs> Uh, but I'll do my best, guys. He immediately punted it, Nick. What a smart man. He knows that yeah, he's not stepping in that bear no. trap. Nope. Nope. It's a big old bear trap, too, isn't it? Oh, man. Not great. Not great. Uh, yeah, I think, look, I mean, uh, before we dive into all the uh, all the nonsense, we want to start off by, I think, uh, remembering the life of Christian Atsu, who uh, unfortunately was reported late Friday night my time and I think early in the day on Saturday, your time, Naz, that he had lost his life during the tragic earthquakes of the uh, of the Turkey kind of northern Syria region that has affected almost 40,000 lives uh, in that in that space of time over the last couple of weeks. Chelsea obviously did a, a pre-match little moment to to commemorate his life. He, he played for the club. Um, in, in preseason, essentially, it was never uh, officially in a competitive match. But you actually had a chance to talk to him and, and get to know him a little bit during that that summer. Can you tell us a little bit about Christian Atsu? Yeah, he was obviously a winger. Chelsea signed him up. Um, he came over to Europe uh, from quite a poor background, um, played for Porto. Uh, yeah, you know, he lived in poverty in Ghana and then he sort of, reinvested a lot of his money down there. Um, I think Michael Essian was one of the guys who actually helped sort of bring him on his path uh, through English football as well. Uh, you know, as a Chelsea legend and uh, he ended up at Newcastle. Um, yeah, and by the time he was at Newcastle, getting in the first team, um, he was, yeah, doing a lot of charity work, you know, giving back. So I think that all the people I met that, you know, when I spoke to, you know, and also when I spoke to him, I just thought he was a, a brilliant person, always had a smile on his face, good good character, good guy, um, and really, you know, tried to give back one of those guys who realised his privilege. I mean, he lost his dad when he was young to, to you know, uh, botched operations and things like that. So he kind of, he kind of knew that, you know, what, what poverty was and tried to give back and, uh you know, he, he changed hundreds, if not thousands of lives. That's what the charity um, Arms Around the Child said. So, yeah, when I found out, it was it was quite a painful one for the people who knew him um, because it was, you know, we were kind of told by the club that he plays for now in Turkey that, that he was alive. They thought he was alive. Um, they thought they found him in hospital and uh, turned out it wasn't him. So you kind of had this always, this is he alive or isn't he kind of thing. And then... You know, as time goes on, you know, in these situations, uh, like an earthquake, you kind of worry uh, for anyone not found like a week in or, or something like that. So I think that it was just, you just wanted to find out for good. And um, unfortunately, he had died. And yeah, it's really upsetting because, yeah, I spoke to him once. I can't pr- profess to be a friend of his, but I know people who are friends of him. And yeah, I sent my condolences to a few of those people. Uh, and actually, when I was walking to the game at Stamford Bridge, uh, I walked. I was I interviewed him uh, in a cafe uh, around the corner from the stadium. And I don't usually take that route to the to the ground, but I actually walked past the cafe on the way, and I wasn't planning to. But I just thought, just reminding me of him, and you know, you know, he's only been lost at thirty-one years old. It's no age, is it? But uh, and there's many other people who've died in this um, 
tragedy. So, yeah, it kind of just brings home, you know, when you know someone or have met someone who died, then, yeah, it's really sad. And, uh, yeah, um, well, condolences with his friends and family. And, um, yeah, uh, it's horrible and, and puts a lot of the football stuff in perspective. But, yeah, we still love the game and he loved the game. So I guess we'll we'll carry on with the pod and, uh, yeah. yeah, talk about, uh, yeah, other things as well. I saw this photo yesterday, Brandon, uh, because he was at Newcastle for for a while, um, and, and I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, went on loan to Newcastle from Chelsea for a bit when they were in the championship. Uh, and it was him and Czech Tiote were were friends, and they were in the same photo, and both of them were gone before they reached their 32nd birthday. Jeez. I mean, it's. And I, I mean, I, I vividly remember both of those players, um, you know, uh, and and how they uh, how they played. And, you know, it's just it's it, you know, I think a lot of a lot of doom mourning on on the Newcastle side as well um, of of cross football, obviously. But you know, obviously for those who got to see him play week in and week out, you know, that's a, a really hard loss. Yeah. Well, I mean, without a doubt, and again, it brings the the human side to it. Again, it was a natural disaster, you know. Um, so it's, you know, kind of decision taken out of people's hands, which is, I think, the hardest part of it all. But, um, you know, thankfully, he was able to, you know, do preseason with Chelsea. He's able to have a career, you know, and uh, hopefully it sounds like he was able to, you know, really maximize his time that he did have here. And in that point, you're just are so grateful with the positive impact. He went from poverty to professional athlete to giving back. Um, you hear so many uh, footballers are able to do that. And th- I think that's the that's the best part about it. But, um, yeah, it, it's worth acknowledging um, the the heads up with Christian Atsuf, especially because we have a lot of new fans um to to chelsea but then you know also again just the 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 turkey and syria just destruction is continues to be uh horrific numbers so uh, a lot of a lot of prayers go over to them as they try to figure out kind of their new version of life so uh with that being said uh obviously we will talk about the southampton match review uh it was no good very bad day out against the saints at home at Stamford bridge uh we'll talk about what this means for everyone at the club owners manager players try to figure out what if anything, can be our path forward. And then an update on Aspie. Obviously, he had the um, the scary injury yesterday. It sounds like he's in a much better place, but uh, Naz, being the, the proper journalist he is, has some updates for us, which is great. So, as always, we like to kind of get a temp check of everybody out there, see how they're doing post-match with our uh, three-word match review. Again, no Dan. So, Nick, the job is over to you. You curated quite well today uh, a while Oh, you had a very big variety of different things. Uh, yeah, we keep setting records for reactions to these. I think this was near 800 on Twitter, and the the Discord group was uh, <laughs> uh, was also firing on all cylinders. I'll say that um, tongue in cheek. Uh, so I'll start with some of the discords and then move into Twitter. Um, <laughs> Gabriel decided to go with four in a row here, just kind of kind of rapid fire, but I uh, said, sacrifice a goat. I, I think hopefully in, in, you know, the efforts to turn around the, the vibes appease the gods or labored attack, hire a midwife. There's a lot going on here, uh, with Gabriel, but I thought, you know, 
uh, I'll end on a good one, which is something we all share, and, and that's get well, ASP. You know, I think that was incredibly scary yesterday to see someone take a shot like that. So uh, we all share that three-word match review. Uh, ben Stanzel with a, a Power Rangers gif. We haven't had one of these in, in quite some time with the Make It Stop uh, gif, which is fantastic. Uh, Shane with Players Need Support. Uh, Thomas Bates with why not question mark us a patented Nick Verlaney phrase, which I uh, appreciate someone diving deep in the archives. Uh, Nicholas Gomez with no project progress. Accurate. Uh, Jeremy taking our chaos and trophies and turning it on its head with chaos and controversy. DJ fantasy with the loud booze. Um, there were many of them. Tana overall with two and 15 and Clayton Bierman at goalie 59 friend of the show with players. Don't believe a lot of tough stuff in there. A lot of tough stuff. It's, yeah. it's not, not good. Look, Clayton's been around the block, obviously yep. a really good friend. He has turned, I think a couple weeks ago saying, I just, I don't see the evidence to support uh, where this project is going. Um, I put rock bottom bounce with exclamation marks. Cause <laughs> Hey, once you hit that ground, you got to turn around and go back up. So that's as positive as I can get. I don't know about you, wow. Nick. Wow. Okay. I'm trying. Playing off of Southampton with It's Going South. <laughs> uh, we are, we're not in a good spot right now. So not even yeah. the, the Mason um, anti Southampton uh, agenda from his time at Portsmouth could save us, Naz. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I went uh, allergic to scoring, but uh, yeah, there was some good ones out there. My God. What is the last goal you remember seeing? Um, I know the last goal I saw, but uh, yeah, I just, it just feels like, yeah, I don't remember them. I don't remember, even when they score, I don't remember them. They just, it just feels like a, a fake, a fake goal in a way, you know, it just feels like uh yeah, I just don't expect goals. I mean, it feels like the World Cup final goals were probably the last ones. I mean, you got wow. West Ham, but then you don't you don't have anything till Crystal Palace. Yeah. The loss against Fulham with the red card. <laughs> I mean, guys, those are January. Like we're a month ago at it's, this it's, point. It's incredibly bad. Yeah. Oh man. Um, okay. Well, uh, again, but before we get into it, just quick shout outs. Uh, no new people on Patreon, but obviously, if you're looking for a Chelsea community now more than ever. <laughs> Check out our Discord, an amazing support group in there uh, through Patreon. A few bucks a month will get you access. Uh, and then no new updates on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. But again, just a shout out. It helps us get seen and, and grow. So we appreciate the support. Anyways, uh, match time. It was Southampton uh, this past 18th of February in the Premier League at Stamford Bridge. And in case you somehow missed it, Chelsea nil, Southampton won. Goal as predictably as it could have been. The yep. second he went down, uh, James Ward-Prowse standing over the ball at the top left side of the box, about 19 and a half, 20 yards out, exactly where he practices it, and it was right before halftime. So we're going to kick it over to the Fist Stand app. In case you haven't downloaded the only official Chelsea FC app in the world, go do it. We appreciate them letting us use the audio from the games. Here we go. We do appreciate the Fist Stand. You guys rule. Thanks for supporting us and uh, providing such great content. But... Um, yeah, I don't know if these are really highlights. I'd call them lowlights. And I think the match review is going to address them much better than reliving the painful parts. So we're going to skip them. Uh, producer Jake out. All right. Well, with that being said, 
aka not a lot, Nick, <laughs> we have a lineup to go through. Uh, seems like the back four is here to stay uh, for a while, at least. Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> who knows? Uh, but yeah, Chelsea obviously sending out a quite different lineup than they did midweek at Dortmund. Uh, Kepa between the sticks, uh, you know, as, as we all expect. As becoming in for East James, Koulibaly uh, staying in for Thiago Silva, who's played a lot of football uh, in, in the post-World Cup period. Betty Shield coming back in. Uh, Chilwell, again, second straight start at left back. Kukurea not even in the squad, so that kind of necessitated itself. Uh, a midfield two that we haven't seen yet, which is Kovacic and Enzo, Enzo Fernandez. Spoiler alert, that didn't work. Uh, and then a front four of Matueke on the right, Felix as a 10-ish, Mason Mount on the left-ish, and David Datra Fafana uh, starting up top uh, in place of Kai Havertz. Um, yeah, and, and the bench, obviously there was a lot of subs. Uh, we had one extra one due to the concussion sub for Asby, so that's why we had six instead of five, for those who are asking. Uh, Bettinelli, of course, did not make it on. Uh, Zakaria did not make it on, and Lewis Hall didn't make it on, but everybody else did. Uh, Trev Chalba, uh, Mudrik, Sterling, Connor Gallagher, Kai Havertz, and Wesley Fafana all make appearances uh, in a, just an insane uh, match day that uh, didn't yield uh, one single goal. So, uh, thoughts and feelings on the lineup there, Naz? Hit us. Uh, yeah, I thought. Well, let's 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 mention something. The team news got leaked as usual quite early, uh, but this time it was very early, like the day before. So you kind of knew it was going to be serious squad rotation. So I think that did help Southampton just to telegraph things and and to know Reese James isn't playing. I think that's a huge help uh, to any team. I, I thought I would have thought Reese James would have played, and then they've kind of opted to rest him. It kind of makes sense, you know, managing minutes. Did the same with Thiago. Same with Kukurea. Uh, ZH as well, he puts in a lot of intensity into his matches. So, um, yeah, they've, they've pulled those guys out. We knew pretty much all of them were out. We knew Aubameyang wasn't going to make the squad. Um, so you can kind of piece together what the lineup will be. Um, and, yeah, you know, the way Chelsea play at the moment is kind of all through João Felix. It's just all down the centre, all, all this kind of stuff. And and uh, you could kind of see when Aspilicueta's on the flank and not, and not uh, Rhys James, then... It, it takes away a bit of threat, to be honest, on the on the right side. So, um, yeah, Southampton can focus on stopping the middle, the attacks from the middle, maybe slightly from the left as well. Um, and and they did that. They they knew what to do. They had the game plan sorted. And, and Chelsea started the match really poor, didn't they? They were on the back foot. Um, Graham Potter called it a subpar display, uh, which is probably as harsh a language as you get from Graham Potter after a ah. poor performance, which is part of. Part of probably a bigger subject we're going to go into in a bit. Um, yeah, so first half was poor. Kovacic, you mentioned, with Enzo in midfield. Sometimes looked okay, but giving away the free kick for the goal from Kovo was a was a terrible mistake. Like giving away a penalty almost, isn't it? Because this free kick taker is the best in the world except Messi. Uh, and they showed the stats in uh, on match of the day yesterday that he's the, he's the best. And he's going to break David Beckham's record very, very soon, probably this season. Uh, for most free kicks scored in the Premier League. So it's a basic thing, you know, that's something you talk about in tactics. Um, yes, you've got to make tackles, but you couldn't really pick to... If he if you gave him the ball and said, take free kick, that's where he put it. So he does that, he scores. Um, and yeah, Chelsea are up against it from there on in. And, and the mood dips, booed off at half-time. Um, yeah, goals are hard to come by. Um, 
But the biggest thing for me with the lineup was uh, I think if there was any risks taken, that was a terrible decision because yes, Southampton are bottom of the league, but you know they know they're fighting for their lives. So if Reese James could have played forty-five minutes, then start him. Um, I'm I'm a fan of some of the new signings. I like them, but. That show for Fana, for me, and I know I tweeted about this and loads of people were angry at me and I feel sometimes like I'm seeing something completely different than Chelsea fans because I know they really enjoyed the transfer window, but David Datro Fana isn't ready to be starting big games for Chelsea, in my opinion, um, like this. So, I mean, it's got to be Havertz or Aubameyang and I know Havertz is playing badly, but it's got to be one of the experienced guys for a team that's in crisis. Don't put a 20-year-old in who's just come out of the Norwegian League. And I have a lot of respect for the Norwegian League. I know he plays for Ivory Coast, uh, played two games for his country, but he's not ready for this level. Chelsea is about as hard as it gets right now, so don't put in a 20-year-old. It's not optimal. Like If you have to do it because you've got an injury crisis, fair enough, but don't throw him in. So that I, was, I was a bit concerned seeing that. Um, I was saying it to people before the game, um, I don't think many people agreed in my opinion on social media, but I was worried about it and I wasn't surprised seeing him come off at half-time. I, I predicted the substitution. I thought it might be Mudrick, but it turned out to be Sterling. But, you know, and now he's going off like feeling like he's failed. And, and that's not fair. That's not fair for a youngster going forward. So um, that, that was a concern. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was going to be interesting. I thought Koulibaly and Badi Shile could do a good job together at centre-back. They didn't. Um, and and that that was that was that was a struggle to see as well. Um, could they have put Thiago through forty five minutes just to just to help the team? I mean, that that's probably the one Naz where I'm like, you got to rest that dude. He, he's he's too valuable long term to to get anything else. But the, but the younger guys, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, it's it's the it's the knife edge balance of like, well, if they get hurt, right, yeah, and you've yeah. overplayed them, then you're you're looked at as a manager like you didn't, you know, manage their their well-being enough, and it's just like it's I get so that. tough. I get that, and um, Dutcher fan did some good stuff deep in deeper in the pitch, but it's it's more towards the goal that's the problem. You know, he's not impacting the game; doesn't look like scoring. His XG is really low. Um, Chelsea, you know, maybe the system doesn't work if the forwards aren't in the right position, so all that kind of stuff. And then and then Mount left wing, that's not his position. That's my last point. Um, and I know he's been playing poorly even when in his best position, but play him in his worst, one of his worst positions or, or something like that, where he's a proper winger. You know, the way the left wingers play at the moment are wingers. So he's not a winger. Um, he's a midfielder uh, and, you know, he's going to struggle. And he did. Yeah, uh, understandable. I'm going to circle back to a couple of things. But just to round out this preview section, uh, Chelsea <clears throat> fought back to 61% possession. We had 17 shots, only five on target. Saints had eight shots, five on target. Um, we had seven blocked shots as well. Uh, we had eight corners. We had two big chances. They had one big chance. Uh, we both missed all of our chances. Um, we had 86% pass accuracy, which again is strong, but you know what is the end result with that? We are two of 20 for crossing, by the way, which is 10%. Uh, to be fair, they were three of eight, but just the fact that we whipped in 20 crosses and only connected on two is pretty, pretty bad. Um, and then I guess just from there, XG, right? About one and a half for us, depending on where you're looking, 0.8 for Saints. Um, that's that's kind of the 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 nut on that one, which is is not ideal, really. Um, I would say we had 16 fouls to their 25. I think they had 10 within the first 35 minutes, um, which you know can be a talking point. They ended up with six yellow cards, star three. 
Um, but it definitely played into them. And I would say it too, like this tactical matchup, this was like Southampton going old English four, four, two right up you right now. It's like they, they, they pressured, they were annoying as hell. They tactically fouled Chilwell immediately in this match. Cause I think they realized that, you know, he's kind of the danger man. If Aspie's playing right back. I think he, you and I exchanged uh, some sort of tweet yesterday around around the fouls or or Felix's touches, something like that. But it was just pretty obvious what they came out to do. Like they had a style, they had a a personality that they came into Stamford Bridge with, and it it was like, you know, a battering ram versus Chelsea trying to be cute and tricky and and play around, and it just didn't. It, it, the styles didn't mash up for the second time this season, um, as you would have noted. But the the one random stat, which I will read off here, is that they've done the double over Chelsea for the first time since 87-88. Double, uh, a 17-year-old Alan Shearer making his professional debut uh, on the day that they, they completed that. So, uh, yeah, not good, man. Not good. All right. Well, look, we've already like kind of broken through half of the first part, which is good. So I'm going to take the uh, a pause here, um, yep. hit our ad break, and we get back uh, more just about the game before we kind of look ahead to the future. So again, thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. Are you missing out on your favorite shows because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. If you're bored of the US Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with 5,000 plus servers. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. You can receive a huge discount on a two year plan with one month free. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check it out. My link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. One thing I did want to pull right back to you, Naz, because we're never going to get this except with you. How does it get leaked 24 hours before? Like that is a competitive disadvantage. That is a problem. Um, one thing that I'm going to tie it back to is it sounds like uh, when Bully and, and Badad were learning about transfers, a lot of things are getting leaked to the press, and I think they were getting played a little bit. It seems like January transfer window went so much better. How are lineups like this getting leaked so far in advance from such a top club? Is it Potter not having control of his front, you know, of, of this of the team? Is it more on like the club administrative side, or is it hard to know? Worst case scenario, it's a player leaking it through an agent, right? It's hard to know exactly, but if it leaks so early, the only people that know uh, will be the people in the squad and then maybe their closest friends and family and maybe a few agents in the game. So those are the kind of people that it will be coming from. It could be coming from players exactly. I mean, most journalists don't leak the team. Um, you know, it's seen as a trade secret, unless there's a major story like, say, 
say a player had a fallen out of the manager and it's a big story, he's not going to play, he's been dropped, then that's, you know, elite team, fine. That you know, I, I'd feel the same way about it. But I'm not just going to say, oh, Reese James isn't playing because I don't think it's fair on Chelsea. You know, it's a sport, there's a, you know, com- competition going on and all this kind of stuff. I don't even try to find out the team really um, in the first place because I don't feel it's right. But it's- and what else would you write right before the match? I mean, you know, you need that, <laughs> you need yeah. that content. Exactly. I'm happy to wait for the match. That's no problem. <laughs> no. Um, but uh, yeah, with um, with the, I think it's just that, you know, it's good social media currency, isn't it? You can get a lot of retweets and, and clicks and grow accounts and stuff like that. So that's why people do it. Um, and people are interested, to be fair. But uh, so it means Chelsea are really vulnerable right now. They need to get on top of it. I don't think it's a good thing, really, for Chelsea. It's up to Chelsea to sort it out themselves. Um, some clubs don't have as many leaks as others, and Chelsea seems to be possibly the worst around right now. Um, I think Man United have a little bit of a problem with it as well, but Chelsea's is particularly bad, so it's something to get on top of. I think, um, yeah, just remind people of their, you know, you're hurting the club if these things come out. So I think that you know people just put it out if they're not playing or whatever. Um, you can get a re- response from people these days on social media. You can t- message anyone. Um, and um, yeah, some some accounts are doing a great job of getting the team news out and growing their accounts. But yeah, from a Chelsea's perspective, I would say it's not ideal, and I'm sure um, Graham Potter would agree. I, I guess uh, a question I have for you is like with with that being that far in advance, right? Like Southampton, then no, Reese James probably not playing. None, none of this is certain, by the way. Graham could have easily just went and started Reese, you know, and, and said, "Well, fuck this. We're, <laughs> we're 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 teaching the leak or something here." But he didn't. Obviously, is is this like sinister? Is are there sinister motives uh, attached with leaks, or or is it just simply a clout chasing thing in your mind? Yeah, I don't think it's sinister. It's clout chasing. Um, it's clout chasing at all costs, of course, but. Uh, yeah, I, but I think that's the way we've gone, really, with social media now. It's just, um, yeah, how can I get clicks? How can I be as relevant as possible? And, and sometimes, you know, people maybe will, will go and do something that's not ideal. Um, so I think that that's sort of the situation there. Maybe I feel like players don't realise, you know, that maybe the damage they're doing sometimes as well. So I know um, the England national team have had a problem with it, and it, it kind of it, it kind of stopped, actually, at the World Cup. So... Uh, I, I found that quite a welcome development. Okay. Well, uh, appreciate that. Glad to hear it's probably not sinister, but again, it's just another thing of like, holy shit, like we can't catch a break uh, with anything uh, in this moment. So uh, back to the lineup, uh, you know, like you said, Mount is back in. Uh, Chilwell, I was a little bit worried after he wasn't fit enough to play 90 minutes, but he played 84 minutes today. Uh, you know, he is he's in a fragile state for us. The body Shile Kulabali thing didn't work. Kovacic, credit to him. He played a lot more vertical passes than I've ever seen. So that was a positive. But as far as like the midfield collaboration, um, he's just coming back. Like some of his first competitive minutes and it didn't go well. To your point, as you just said, a lot of changes. Uh, David going in up top. Felix was absent. Matawake was fine at times. Like Matt Law has said, he gets a bit predictable. So I'm interested to hear what you think of Matawake. Um, and then I kind of have like a, a, a point to make once we kind of like touch on some of the specifics between, between you and Nick as well, just to kind of see what you guys think of my analysis and, and kind of the different challenges between clubs like Chelsea and Southampton. I mean, overall though, right? Like I, I didn't really know where to go with this script (laughs) to, to be fair guys. Like it was just bad. 
it, it was just really bad. It was poor performance from minute one all the way through. You know, some some energy in the second half, but it felt like chaotic energy. It didn't feel like focused energy. It felt like we were just kind of throwing the kitchen sink at, at a problem to see if something worked. And you know, to be fair, it almost did. But uh, compare that performance, Naz, to the to the Dortmund performance midweek. Rest in peace to your laptop, obviously. Um, and and this is like night and day. I mean, Chelsea played fluid attacking football against Dortmund. Uh, had control of that game for large chunks of it, had no control against Southampton, let themselves be bullied. And I think the energy in, in the stadium reflected what a lot of people were watching, what I was watching at home. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that that's the main thing people can't accept. You know, not only have you lost to bottom of the league, Southampton, but it's it follows like a performance that had a bit of hope, but you still didn't, didn't win, you lost in Champions League. And then you go into another match against the team you just have to beat. Um, both teams in crisis, but Southampton's players are just not good. They're just youngsters, a lot of them, um, or they're just not good enough for the Premier League, Championship-level players. Um, it's no surprise they're in a relegation battle for me. Um, I actually predicted them to go down before the season even started. Um, so, yeah, And I think a lot of Chelsea fans would have felt the same. So you'd expect to go in there maybe not dominate, maybe not have it all your own way, but at least win at the end of the day. And yeah, um, it just feels like, you know, it's it's one step forward, two steps back every every time now with Chelsea. Like they win a game like Palace, then there's a run of three draws. Teams like Fulham are starting to get away from you in the table, um, out of the cups. Um, Champions League isn't looking good. So it's just like, it's just like bleak, bleak, bleak. But it, it, a lot of it comes down to who are you going to blame? Like, do you blame the signings? Most people don't. Do you blame the players? You know, the players were applauded off the pitch, but the one person booed off the pitch is a manager. And you're like trying to unpick who's at fault here, who's the most to blame, what's going on? Um, and it's yeah. But I, I think like underneath it all, I think a lot of people had hope that when. The other thing about this game was people had hoped that when the injured players came back and with a lot of the new signings in that there was going to be an uplift and uh, the results haven't uplifted. Some of the performances have for periods, like against Dortmund, West Ham, I was quite positive after the Dortmund game, the way I wrote. Um, and West Ham had that good 20 minutes, which was as good as anything. Um, but I think West Ham felt they played poor in that period as well. Um, and then, yeah, just to have nothing, like absolutely nothing. Um, and I know they created a lot in the second half, but that's going to happen against the team that had no confidence. And, and Chelsea just bringing on attacker after attacker, way better players than what Southampton have. You're going to create chances, but yeah, I mean, they could have scored. But to have no control, like you were saying, that, that's part of the problem. And um, the control part, to be fair, is the manager's job. So, um, yeah, for me, I'm trying to unpick what's going wrong and. Yeah, there must be a lot of people to blame, really. Um, the manager deserves some portion of blame. I don't think the whole blame, like a lot of people are saying. I think a lot of people hope that you get rid of the manager and it all it all improves. But um, I just think, like, I was always worried about this 32-man squad and, and somehow, actually, the injured players coming back isn't always that helpful because they're, they're out of form. You've got people like, um, I don't know, Reese James had a... Pretty uh, below par first few games, I thought. And then in the second half against Dortmund, he got back somewhat to his best and then he's having to sit out again. 
Um, so it's taking him time. Chilwell looked a bit improved, but not at his best. Kovacic was, pre- was pretty good considering the circumstances. Same for Loftus-Cheek, but they're not game changers. Um, so I just think that that's a problem. Then you've got loads of players sitting out of the squad. That can't be good to get the level of training really high. The morale, um, I've been told, is really low behind the scenes. Confidence is low, of course. I think that Graham Potter's a nice guy, so you're not hearing the kind of stories where people are having a go at each other in training. You know, we had that a bit with Lampard when when he was sacked. There's a lot of that stuff going on. I don't think that's the mood. I think it's just low, depressed, um, but not yeah. not that angry. Um, I think some of the players who are playing now are really passionate as well. You're seeing crazy yellow cards like Mount just getting booked, charging around the pitch. Aspilicueta going ballistic at people from the bench um, in Dortmund. You know, they had the big brawl at the end of the match. Like, the players do care, but... It's just not coming together. And then finishing as well, that's a lot about confidence. Um, the way that Chelsea are finishing is like, you know, it's like me when I was younger. I used to uh, snatch at chances, all that kind of thing, because I didn't have the composure, you know, I didn't have the confidence that I was going to score. But um, I think that that's what's going on. I was I was reading a good piece in The Athletic, actually. One of my colleagues wrote it. And, uh, you know, they, they did analysis of the, of the shots and... Um, it, there is there is sort of you know a lack of precision with it all. It's, there's an element of luck, like good saves. The Bazunu save from Gallagher was excellent, but there's also like just an element of you know you're not hitting the corner, you're not quite hitting the shot hard enough. It's all of that, and and how do you measure that? It's quite difficult. It's you're just hoping that something turns. But um, yeah, finishing has been a problem at Chelsea for years. There's a lot of legacy problems still hurting the team. Um, I, I think that Graham Potter is performing poorly, but um, I also think that sacking him wouldn't immediately fix the problem. I think that that's the that's a bit the problem where I think that's a bit of the danger of where the fans have got themselves into a frenzy over Potter is that they feel like they can turn it around with one simple decision. Yeah, there's a lot lot to unpack there. <laughs> we'll, we'll try our best here to to get through it. I, I think Brandon, I started off with the expected Chelsea thing, which is just like that that account saying this is probably the worst half of football in the Potter era, referring to the first half. Spacing on the ball all over the place, watching a bad academy team. I don't think any fan or player can tell you who's doing what. I mean, we've had conversations in our in our big brains chat about that and it's it's just tough to discern a strategy right now uh, on on what players are supposed to be doing. Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, a, a big part of this, uh, really annoyingly, um, is Southampton, right? Thank you for the commentator's curse, Naz, saying that South Sa- Southampton went into the match with the worst record on the club's history, losing nine of the last ten and only one clean sheet in 28 matches. Brilliant. Their manager saying, I didn't have enough time to invent a different system identified anyway with the principles from before. If anyone wants to beat us, they'll have to beat their best. They shithoused us, constantly fouled, defended. And, and part of this is, yes, Chelsea have our problems. But my big thing here is if you watch this game, Southampton were anti-football. They didn't have to, to be fair. And when you gift them a free kick, I mean, my gosh, like it couldn't have gone any better for them. But like, when you look at like a Perro and a Maitland-Niles who get like really good scores in this game, they didn't have to do anything, right? They don't have the expectations, like Naz was saying earlier, of a Reese James, of a Ben Chilwell, of bombing down the flanks, being aggressive in attack. You know, like no one expects anything from Suleimana, who's six foot seven, other than 
just standing up there. At least is he the one who's six foot seven? The one no. that just came from Belgium? I think it's Onowachu. Onowachu is the unit. That dude is huge. My goodness. Wow. <laughs> Hey, he made Batty Shield look small at one point. Batty Shield's <laughs> not small. I mean, boy. The the point here being the expectations are completely different. And if Chelsea were to go out there and play like this, it would be unacceptable, right? And I think that's the hard part, too, of not only do we have to uh, – we're in a bad spot just within ourselves. We then have to go and play this team who – are like, look, we have literally nothing to lose here. A point on the road is great. Stalling from minute one, fouling consistently, never ever wanting to get into the game made it really hard for this Chelsea team with like an Enzo Fernandez and a Kovacic and a Felix who like to have time on the ball. It weren't being allowed that. And to me, the only way to beat a team who likes to foul you is you have to pass quicker. You can't let them get to you. And this team wasn't ready for that today. And again, part of that is because we don't have our passing patterns defined is what it looks like. We don't have that fluidity in transition from defense to offense or offense to attack or defense to attack. I mean, and I think that's where a lot of times we ended up playing into this because we were so disjointed. It allowed Southampton to to play like absolute bastards and it worked. And again, you don't give up that free kick from Aspie, you know, and like Koulibaly whacks the guy at midfield. And now we're on a counter chasing back where we're like always chasing it this is a completely different game literally we made the one mistake you couldn't made with james ward prowse and it all fell apart i would just say too though naz like their manager says i don't i didn't have enough time to invent a different system he's a caretaker right um he's a caretaker this time last year he's a caretaker this time uh, as well uh i i identified anyway with the principles from before they have a style right it's a shit style it's usually but they losing have <laughs> yeah, but 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 they have one. I, I think that's where I, you know, Chelsea fans could probably be aggrieved to say, like, I don't know what our style is. This many matches in, you would expect an identity from this team, and and you know between the formation changes and the player personnel changes and the, you know, I think just the overall performance changes week to week. So, I mean, Southampton to Dortmund's about as wide away array of performances as you can get no no Chelsea fan knows what is being communicated to these players to do I think yeah. that's the bigger problem yeah Chelsea don't really have a style we we all know that um it should have happened by now I think that you're looking at it in Potter's defense um he had the two weeks when he joined and then the queen died and there was like a cancellation of fixtures then an international break then there was like an unbelievable amount of world uh, matches before the World Cup um, and then there was a bit of an injury crisis in there. So, you know, you're pretty much writing off all that time. Then you come back from the World Cup, still loads of injuries. Breuer gets injured, Fafana and Reese James during the uh, during the sort of build-up to the second part of the season. Um, and then, yeah, you're getting all these new signings in. So it's just sort of disrupting it. But at the same time, they did have that two-week break before the Fulham game. That was a point in right. the season where I was like, this has to be the point where it turns now. Like, I'll give you a free hit. I, I basically just gave him a free hit, Graham Potter, until that point because you expect the training to sort of herald results. And then, again, they've got a week week off now until the next game. They're going to have a lot of weeks like that. So there's, there's, there's increasingly less and less excuses. And, and part of this game, the part of the problem was there's no excuses for the result. There's no hiding place. 
at all. Uh, you just have to win. There's so much better players. I mean, yes, some of your players might be injured, but you've got so much to work with. You've got so many ingredients. There's got to be one team out of all those players that can go and get a result. Um, Southampton are just really poor, but I think that there's another fact that's just touching upon what Brandon said. Um, you know, this Chelsea team, every time there's a setback in a match, they just sort of sink. Um, and okay, they yep. did rally in the second half, but not enough. Not enough is what you'd expect from being a goal down. Um, and I just feel like every time they see first, they're going to lose. Um, they're not good at setbacks. And I've never known a Chelsea team to be under more pressure than this one because the games are running out. I was talking to Ben Chilwell in Dortmund and he was saying, there's no excuses anymore. It doesn't matter if like we're unlucky. It doesn't matter if they get a penalty that's totally dodgy. Like We've just got to win. And um, there's no hiding place. They're running out of games. The season's on the verge of ending. I think it's close to ending now. Um, the, the gap's growing within the Europa League teams now. So um, you've got to worry. Con- contrast that. I watched the Newcastle-Liverpool game right after our match yesterday, right? Newcastle have luckiest Redbirds ever. (laughs) Newcastle have about as bad a twenty-five minutes to start a match as you could ever want. I mean, it was horrific shit show. But they fought the entire rest of that match to get back in it, and and honestly, we were unlucky that they didn't at least get one back, if not two. Yeah, that compared to what you saw Chelsea do is a completely different thing. They fought back within a framework. They fought back within a context that they were going to go do this because they knew they could. I don't think Chelsea knows that they can do it right now. I think the confidence is that shot. And yeah, I agree. I totally agree with you. Like the, the players themselves, the heads drop, man, like whenever something bad happens, they're looking around at each other going like, what the hell now? Like this is, it's just not the same thing. And I think that's just a mentality thing. Well, Newcastle will have credit to pull from, right? They have good results. Sure. They've beaten good teams. Yeah. Chelsea, we got, we got nothing. We're, we're, you know, the, 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 the drain is the well is empty and we're trying to scoop more out of it. Um, just the last thing on this one, obviously Chelsea cannot score. Um, Naz tweeted Chelsea now have only 23 goals after 23 league games, drawing blanks in four of the last five games, just three goals in nine matches. Ollie Hopkins looks like he's with Opta tweeted Chelsea's last five games in all competitions, 73 shots, an XG of 7.9 and only one goal. Ouch. Um, he's got to be with Opta. I mean, he tweeted the whole Opta thing, you know, with the word at the end. I mean, that's what they do. So um, it, it just shows you that obviously that's the problem. Um, you know, Marcus Rashford outscoring Chelsea eight to four in the year of 2023 is not great. Um, I just uh, I will. I'll also add Sam's uh, big chances yes, missed. Yes, I asked I asked CFC Central this morning to give me an update on the uh, big chances missed tally. My mistake. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, now 17 of 19 big chances missed. Uh, we've scored three goals from our last 11.3 xG. Oh, so that's unbelievable. <laughs> so I, it's obviously like the problem defensively, not conceding a lot, but like it. it I don't think anyone here is going to come up with the solution. Unfortunately, it invites more questions like we saw in the post-match press conference and as of Aubameyang. Would you care to tell us why Aubameyang's not playing? What about Aubameyang? Is there a conspiracy here? Is he going to them? Like, it just, right now, Potter, right? He can't do anything right. And so a- anytime there's an angle to, like, take a shot, it's being taken because, again, like, he can't say, well, yeah, Aubameyang's not playing, but Fafana had a hat trick. I'm sorry, David, Dr. Fafana had a hat trick. So, like... 
you know, what, what's the, it's a non-issue. Like everything is an issue right now. Yeah. You never question a manager's decisions when they're winning, but when they're losing, and this is the same with players, not just fans and, and media, you know, they, they're like, why am I not playing? You're not getting results. Play me like, and Aubameyang has a reason to, to put that to him, but maybe the writing's just on the wall. So you just sort of leave it at this point. But um, yeah, it's a legitimate question, but I think that, a lot of the fans are blaming Potter, of course. I think most fans have turned on him, which is really hard uh, to sort of overcome. That's going to be a huge issue. But I also point out, and this is a broader thing, like there was so much excitement about the transfer window. Like no club enjoys a transfer window more than Chelsea. 600 million spent, world record over two transfer windows. But few of the new signings have actually lifted the club in any way. And I include the January signings. And I'm not, I'm not having a go at any of them because... Um, yeah, they're great young players. They're going to be great players for Chelsea in the future. But for right now, and I think this is a problem, all the signings were, we've got this great player for the future. We've got this great player for the future. What about now? We're in crisis now. Why aren't we talking about now? And there's been almost no thought towards the short term. Football, there is a long term, and you have to respect the long term development and have a great long term plan. Chelsea have that. I believe in Chelsea's long term plan. But there's absolutely no care put towards the short term like Enzo Fernandez he needs to adapt he's only played 20 games in Europe or something like that um Datro Fofana has been playing in Norway he needs time to adapt under Abramovich he'd be going on loan for two seasons then maybe come back but no he's starting for Chelsea in a huge game that puts the team in crisis if they don't win um he's got the same problem with Nani Madueke huge step up from the Dutch league, he's not played a huge amount of games. He's not like a 20-year-old like Mount who's played like hundreds of games. Um, so this is another guy who's probably under too much pressure. He played okay, but, um, you know, we, we need him to score. We need him to be a match winner. We need our wingers to be match winners. Um, Jao Felix, great player, probably the only one who can make an immediate impact. But And he has done actually immediate impact, but he's not a goal scorer. So uh, he's a guy who creates. We've been creating better with Felix and the team, but... He scored a goal as well, but he's not scoring clinically week in, week out. He's not a 30-goal-a-season man. Not a, and so there, there you go. There's the problems. It's quite simple. Chelsea don't have enough goal scorers. The personnel's not right. They've got too many players. Um, how is Graham Potter going to manage this? Um, I do think that Chelsea are way below the level they should be right now, like way below. The manager needs to get them up to a certain level. But their actual level that they can get to, I don't think is that high either. I think that... Fans expected, after 600 million spent, that the level Chelsea could get to is close to competing for a title. I don't think this squad is anywhere near that. I think that selling players is a huge thing as well. Um, I think it's a mess. I think it's really hard for any manager to do anything with this squad. Um, it's it's top-heavy in certain positions. There's certain positions that are light. Um, man, I just think it's so much it's, it's so many problems um and i'm a little bit worried it should be better than it is they should be smashing southampton 3-0 at home um but at the same time you know i don't think week in week out they're going to win i don't think they can win the champions league honestly uh, i know that the squad sometimes they come out acting tough saying they can but i think that the actual level they can reach isn't that high either i think europa league would be an unbelievable achievement from this position We'll have to see, but obviously it transitions us nicely into what happens now. So again, last ad break, thanks to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. So, I mean, look, Naz definitely brought us right into it, Nick, of, you know, kind of, well, what happens now? I've been saying this for weeks now, and I don't feel like Potter looks at the same. And again, this is his remit, but like every game is a must win. 
Like you, you can't manage minutes really. You need to get results. And I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now. It it just seems like Potter's either either too comfortable. Um, it seems like maybe he's too accepting of the level dropping, but like, no, don't worry. We'll just work on this in the training pitch and we'll be fine next. Like at some point we have to draw a line to say, no, 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 no. We're below where we need to be. If you don't perform, you're not in the lineup. We love talking about meritocracy under Lampard right now. You know, it's all over the place. Who's playing, who's not, who's our starting 11 in, in we we really just need to run that 11 into the ground until he can string two, three, four results together. And I just mean don't lose through two, three, four games and get a win. That would be incredible form right now for Chelsea. And we're nowhere close. So again, you know, what happens now? Fans are upset. Media's upset. Everyone's upset. I'm sure the players are upset. And Potter's got a full plate ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, there is no easy way out of this, right? Um, there's going to have to be some hard decisions made. And I think we have been on this show preaching patience um, for, you know, everything, all the, you know, all the different contextual pieces as to, you know, why this season is so weird and upside down, Um, you know, but, you know, from the minute that Chelsea lost to Leeds and Southampton early in the season, you have to claw those points back. And we simply have underperformed the entire way. Um, you know, there was a nice little stretch there in October. That was, that was fun. The team was playing really well and the vibes were high. And then, then it basically fell off a, a fucking cliff. I mean, it's, you know, I, I have a lot of empathy for Graham Potter. I, I can't imagine him entering into a more difficult situation as a manager, um, than what he's done here. But I think what's worrying to me now, Naz, is is you mentioned this earlier. You had the World Cup to kind of retool, right? Reconfigure, think about your own strategy, right? Not a ton of players around to work with necessarily, but to to do some deep dives. Then you had a two week break before Fulham. Uh, then you, because you're not in any of the cup competitions, you have a lot of training pitch time right now. Um, you know, a couple of weeks, a week here. You know, obviously the Champions League weeks are different because they're playing midweek, but the performances have gotten better in some cases and worse in some cases. And I think I would have expected by now that there would be a clear identity, that there would be clear player personnel decisions outside of injuries, of course. And, you know, yesterday felt like a turning point in a negative way to me. Um, that you know, I think it's going to be really difficult to climb back from, frankly. Yeah, I can see that. And uh, I can see why a lot of fans have lost faith. Uh, I think you guys are more losing faith, faith and lost faith, maybe, perspective right now. Um, but I guess it's just also Chelsea just used to winning. So it's not, you know, you're being told that we've got this long-term plan. It will work eventually, but... Every defeat is just losing faith in the wider plan as well, isn't it? So, um, and and we used to as well. Managers being a quick fix, but I think that with this one, um, you're looking at who we can get in, in in this place, and you're thinking Thomas Tuchel's name is probably the most commonly brought up, but there's no way he's coming back. He's fallen out with the owners, so you don't bring back a manager who's not in with the owners. Um, then Jose Mourinho's name's been brought up a lot, but. You know, obviously, it's a huge gamble to bring back a manager most people believe isn't at the top level anymore. 
Um, and then after that, you're either going caretaker or maybe Pochettino, you could just about convince him. But Chelsea becomes less and less attractive as well. And you also have to start from square one again as well, because you've had a January transfer window for one manager. You've had a summer window for Tuchel. And then you can have another summer for another manager. So it's, it's almost like you're pushing your project way back. Um, it, but again, this season as well, like it's, it's how much, how many blows can you take? So um, is Potter underperforming so badly that you have to get rid of him and just get the new manager bounce? Or are you just writing off this season? Does it matter if Chelsea finish 11th or 9th? Is that, it, it, does that matter anymore? Um, so these are a lot of the big questions I think that we're all thinking about. Um, and I think the owners really are trying to commit to this long-term plan. And that's what's really hard is that you're not seeing results, you're not seeing progress, you're not seeing anything improve uh, particularly. I mean, yeah, you improve for a bit and then you go two steps back again. I think that for the future, if if Chelsea decide, decide to stick with Potter, they really need to sort of show an identity for the fans to get back on side. I think that they need a dirty, nitty-gritty win. I mean, the next game is Spurs, so you win there. And you've got a lot of goodwill for a, for a bit a bit more time, don't you? But if you draw there, it's probably okay. If you're performing well and draw, then it might be okay. But a loss there as well, like to a rival, it's going to be painful. So I don't know. It, it feels mutinous. It feels hard. I really have a lot of sympathy for Potter. I don't think he's completely lost the squad, but I think the squad have lost their way. Um, and yeah, I mean, he just needs to find 11 players who can do something and that's it really. I mean, Felix looks like he can. Enzo's been pretty good. Um, Kovacic could be good in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he might need to make some hard decisions really. You've got one game a week now and what I was expecting from Potter wasn't this squad rotation. I was a bit confused by that. I'm a bit confused if he's um, been a bit of a yes man as well, Um, you know, playing all the new signings as soon as they were available. Like, is that the wisest decision? Shouldn't you ease them in? You've got loads of other players as well. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's tricky. I think that the players who are on the fringes as well, bringing them back in now, they might be a bit resentful because they might be seeing that they're forced out, you know. Um, I'm surprised Hakim Ziyech has been passable because the way he was treated on deadline day was quite bad, but now Chelsea are playing him anyway. Um so, yeah, I mean, I just feel like it's a mess. Um, I have a lot of sympathy for him. I never back or don't back a manager. I just sort of try to report the situation as best I can, give you guys the tools to make your own minds up. But Potter clearly doesn't know his best lineup. Sixty, sixty-one 61 changes before the weekend for his 16 games in charge. That's an insane amount of changes. It's almost like new team every match. So find a lineup, get a dirty win, win at all costs, try and stop losing but yeah I mean Bowley and all those lot uh, the owners they're having to face the fans now um, and are they going to keep their nerve and back a manager or are they going to put themselves out of the firing line because if this goes on it's not only Graham Potter that's going to be dragged into the hate sort of uh, negative you know news cycle but I think the owners are going to start getting hit as well by media by fans um, you know, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of will. People want me to write 
absolute hit piece on Potter, but if this goes on, it might sort of spread towards the owners as well. So um, we'll see. Don't worry, YouTube's done the hit pieces already, so uh, that, that's covered yeah. for you. Well, I, I don't think the owners are worried about it personally, but again, we don't know. I think they're very desperate to not be the same, and they've had so much su- success at LA doing the long-term approach that – you know, I think that they're going to stick with it. Nick, all right, here's the game for you. Uh, Naz says we need a dirty win. Where is it coming? Tottenham, Leeds, Dortmund at home, Leicester away, Everton at home. Those are the next five matches. Where is the dirty win coming? Dirty win, dirty leads. He wins right when we bring 21 Americans plus ourselves to the bridge to lift the atmosphere. We are here to help. The, the, the question is, can we score a goal? I mean, like, you can't win without a goal. Apparently, we can and score one and five, according to uh, the Aptus stat earlier. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so maybe it's the Leeds game where we get the one nil. I really don't know. I mean, they're they're pretty bad right now, but so are Southampton. So, I mean, it's like, it's tough. It's tough after yesterday to see what what happens. Like, I think going to Tottenham next week could either be a turning point in a positive way or a turning point in a negative way. Like, I, I don't really see a middle ground, unfortunately, there. And so, you know, if you go win, yeah, that's some deodorant for for what's going on. If you if you get pummeled, hey, that's that's a whole different scenario, you know. And I think it just this the form after New Year's or after Christmas, I should say, has just been not. I mean, two and fifteen speaks for itself. Yeah, it, it's so to me, it's like if you win you get maybe like two points of positive emotion. If you lose, you lose five points, right? Like it's going to take a few results uh, to really dig out of. And this is like where you're at in this situation. So um, anyways, lastly, we did want to touch on Aspie. Uh, it sounds like he's doing a lot better. So Naz, you were there. Scary times. You can just quick talk us through it. And it sounds like he's uh, doing okay. Uh, sounds like today he's stable in, in talking and it was a concussion. Yeah, yeah, it was a concussion, got kicked in the head, of course, by Seiki Mara, accident. Um, there was a really long stoppage, I think it was nine minutes or eight or nine minutes uh, at Stanford Bridge, then he went to hospital. Uh, great work by the sort of medical staff, they were very careful, that, you know, Southampton medical staff were helping him as well. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he, he was talking to his wife um, straight after the match, pretty much much on the phone saying he's all right you know making her feel better which is always the first thing you do right if you get hurt you got to call the call the wife or the family so uh and then it's kind of filtered through today that he's um he's yeah still in hospital but he expects to be out tomorrow um yeah he's been telling all his friends he's okay um yeah he's got to look after himself because when you've had concussion you know it, it might miss the next game i think that's the protocol uh, but you know, there's nothing broken. There's no long-term damage. It's just about precaution, easing your way back in. Um, it was a heavy blow, so yeah, you've got to be careful. Take every precaution. If you take a second blow with concussion, it could be quite bad. You know, so soon after the first. So it's just about waiting until you're fully recovered and then coming back into it. So Aspie does everything the right way. He's a top pro. He barely misses a game, so he probably devastated to miss the Spurs game. But he'll be he'll be back soon. Yeah, I mean, it, this this was very, very scary. I mean, I, I guess a question about the refereeing on this one. Um, do, do you think that this should have been a red card for violent conduct, Naz, or was this simply like incidental 
contact. When when I first watched it, my initial take was Mara didn't know he was there and and had every right to go for the ball. But I've watched some replays, and I'm I don't know I'm I'm may, I'm maybe in the orange territory right now in, in my own. Head. I want to stack the deck real quick. Asby has posted on social media that he's good and he thanks everyone for the oh, support. Okay. So that is right now just happened. And then also about this, what I would say, Naz, as you know this as a as an elite footballer yourself, you know that anytime you leave your feet, you you lose all control and you've kind of taken that risk. What do you think? I think that I think that looking at Mara's reaction, I was watching it recently and he just he looked upset himself because he just kicked a guy in the head completely by accident. So I have a lot of sympathy for him. I don't know. It could be dangerous play. There is a red card. You're allowed to give a red for that. You're allowed to give a red for dangerous play. But I also don't think... I think that footballers, when they think about each other, I don't think Aspie will be angry at Mara. I'm sure Mara apologised. Southampton were really... Willie Caballero's been keeping the guys in touch about Aspie because they're really upset. I think footballers take the field and they can hurt themselves. You know That, that can happen. And um, everyone admires the way Aspie defended that um, in the Southampton dressing room. I think that... Chelsea were right to ask for a red card. It didn't come. Could have been, maybe not. But I don't think anyone's that upset. I don't think anyone thinks so. You know, Chelsea don't think they needed the red card to get the result. They could, have, they should have got the result anyway. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm not. I don't know. I don't. I'm not too fussed about either way. I think you know, players put themselves in danger being on that pitch, and that's why I have a lot of respect for them. Even when Chelsea doing bad, and it did put into perspective a bit. Like, look, these guys are still putting their body on the line. They're trying their best. They might be falling short right now, but respect them they're trying they want to win they're doing everything they can look at Aspie putting his head in the way of that unbelievable um, so big respect to Aspie um, everyone handled it brilliantly the two teams there's not really any animosity about it and, and we move on we're getting better and we're getting back on the pitch yeah um, uh, and again to those fans um, you know taking shots at Enzo and the other players I think Felix passing the ball as Aspie is getting treatment yeah they're staying loose staying warm like that yeah. doesn't mean they don't like Aspie. I just, that is how fractious Chelsea Twitter is right now that like anything is like picked apart and then blown up. And I'm just, I, this is, we've all seen this many times. Nick, we've been around the rotating managerial merry-go-round and when things are bad, but like Chelsea Twitter is the worst in these moments. And that's when you really have to like stick to your, your crew and just the people who you trust and follow because you can very quickly get taken off in like this roller coaster of emotion of, Oh my gosh, you're right. There's a conspiracy. And this person hates this person. That's why and you're like, just stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I learned my lesson from earlier this season. I stopped tweeting at halftime. Basically, um, there's there was nothing to be gained yesterday. I mean, it was it was really really bad. And like the 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 other thing, like not only is it poisonous, it's also boring. Like if you go through the timeline, every single take is the same take or some version of the same take, and it's all just to like pile on and. Like, I I'm not I'm not downplaying that if that's how you, you want to be in your feelings go for it um I've I've been there multiple times myself so I, I definitely know how that works but yeah I think I think in moments like that I, I I'm probably just gonna sit out for a bit yeah. um again uh just others results from the weekend as we as we wrap up here obviously we didn't do a day in the match because you know we lost uh Arsenal squeaking out the result against Villa having to come back um you know, other than that, City drawing forced was the big slip because, uh, you know, United have won. 
Um, and so with Arsenal United winning, that kind of keeps the race at the top pretty tight. So uh, Arsenal in first on 54, City second on 52, United third, 49, Newcastle fourth, 41. Uh, if Tottenham do win today, they could advance uh, into top four, which is essentially our worst nightmares at this point as Chelsea fans. Uh, look, we're in 10th on 31 points, super bleak right now. Uh, CFC stands for Charity FC because Southampton went from 15 points to 18 points, which puts them actually now one win away from being outside of the relegation zone, which is absolutely uh, amazing. Um, you know, the fact that Nick, you had to even put in a message group about 40 points being a target for Chelsea just shows where the situation is right now. You're just like, holy shit. Um, it, it's just, I think the overall season is just a, a bit of a, a, a goofy mirrors, you know, house. And you every time you look, you see something different. You have no idea what's happening. Um, but this this just overall is is not the place that you expect that I think anything to to be right now, Nick. Yeah, I mean, a little tongue in cheek there, but yeah, I mean it's it's hard to win matches if you don't score. I mean, like I don't, I don't know how else to say it. You have you have four goals this calendar year, and um, you know it's it's just not it's just not good enough. So I, I mean, too much attacking talent in this team to have such little production, I think is, is my final word here. And my hope is whether it's, you know, this mentality coach that's been hired or a completely upended tactical plan or something, uh, you know, curse burning a la Ted Lasso situation, so, something has to change ahead of Spurs. And that, I mean, the, the team has a week right now is to, to get ready for this. So, there's a lot of time to, to make all sorts of uh, of inroads. Yeah, I think my final comment would be, you know, Potter's bats. Everyone wants me to give them the news that they want to hear. So if you're Potter out, then you want me to say he's, he's on the way out. But he's backed until he's not backed. It's a bit like Tuchel. We didn't, it was the press release that came out that ruined my day on September the 4th or whenever it was that it came out. So I think that with this one, it's um, absolutely every single time this at Chelsea have a bad result, it's like, is he going? Um, but he's backed until he's not. And that's kind of how it's running. And I think that he has that power behind the scenes and, and you know, people feel like he's being backed and all this. But yeah, fans maybe, fans are trying to have their voice heard and trying to get him out. So we'll see if that has an impact. And I've never quite seen it quite this bad for Chelsea. So uh, yeah, it's just win at all costs at this stage. Um yeah, I can't see where the win's coming from. But within that squad, there is quality, there is wins, and it can happen. So one win, I think that I was speaking to one of my sources recently and he, he just said, one win might not be enough. I think we need two or three to start building because confidence is so low right now. And I'm I'm sure Potter would echo those thoughts as well. It's just a really tricky time for Chelsea, but... Um, get through it. There'll be better times, I'm sure. Um, for me, I just want Conference League because or Europa League minimum because I do enjoy my European trips, even though I got my laptop smashed up in Dortmund. So um, I'm hoping we have that for next season. Um, but if not, Chelsea will have a lot of midweeks to get ready for matches. And and hey, you know, it took Liverpool and Arsenal a while when they were rebuilding. And it and Chelsea are when you speak to people behind the scenes, Chelsea are rebuilding now and. Um, it took Arteta a long time. He finished eighth, uh, he finished fifth, Klopp finished eighth, fourth, fourth, second, and then won the league. So I think that Chelsea are on a bit of a long road now. 
And um, yeah, that's that's what the expectation should be. Can we get on that road um, and start progressing, start seeing something uh, that resembles a team from now on? All right. Well, here we go. Just a short little road uh, until we're there, Naz, which we're excited about. So we'll see if uh, uh, some rowdy Americans can help jazz it up. Uh, just a change of pace, buddy. You know. We're, we're, we're going to be in your neck of woods, taking it in. Uh, we expect a win away at Spurs, and then we'll bring it back to double down the leads in, in Dortmund, and we'll get out of there just in time to really help turn the corner. Uh, but, man, uh, we appreciate you obviously bringing the non-Chelsea view, which we, which we need sometimes. It is too easy to get sucked in to all of the blue-tinted glasses uh, and the blue voices. So thanks, man. We appreciate you. You obviously do an amazing job. Um, we'll put links in the description room to follow you. Uh, Naz's articles are top, 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 and he's even a better person, which we appreciate. Um, and we'll have beer soon, sir. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, I've always said Chelsea need more Americans, and we're going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, AK, wherever they are in summer tour, Naz says, yeah, more of these fans. We love it. All right, Naz. Well, thanks. As always, Nick, appreciate you. We'll be back with more content this week. As always, um, look, it's okay to not feel great, but uh, we're here to talk about it. Join our Discord. It'll be great. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.